0: Good afternoon and welcome to the Douglas Element Town Hall series. Joining us are Douglas Element Executive Chairman Howard M. Warber and President and CEO Scott Durkin, along with Tracy Tudor, author of Fear Is Just a Four Letter Word, based out of Douglas Element's Beverly Hills office and Holly Parker Parker, author of the upcoming book Back on the Market, a realtor's guide to love and life based out of Douglas Elements six ninety Washington offices in Manhattan. Today's topic will be The Art of the Book Deal, Winning Strategies to Telling Your Story.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the 18th Element Town Hall. Today's topic, The Art of the Book Deal, Winning Strategies to Telling Your Story, with nationally ranked Element agents Holly Parker of New York City and Tracy Tudor from Los Angeles. I suspect this will be a very lively conversation. But first, a market update. I'm continuously impressed by our agents, managers, and staff who are working tirelessly under these very challenging circumstances. For example, just this week in New York, we saw 16 new signed contracts over $4 million, with Element agents Tamir Shemes and Patty Lehan taking the number two spot with a deal at 21 East 61st. Susan DeFranca and her team at Douglas Element Development Marketing reported new appointments on par with year-ago levels. There's a boom in Brooklyn with recent reports citing a near 40% increase in new contracts. In Los Angeles, the average price per square foot for luxury single-family homes rose to a new record. In Palm Beach, September signed contracts jumped 62% over August. Price trends in Miami set new records rising to levels not seen in five years quarter over quarter in Houston, single family homes are surging by almost 99%. Out in the Hamptons, element tripled the written volume in contracts signed for the Hamptons for the third month in a row with a recorded 311 million in signed contracts for September up from 90 million the year prior. The North Fork saw median sales prices hit 14-year highs and Long Island median sales prices are on the rise. In Greenwich, Connecticut, home sales have had the strongest quarter in more than a decade. All this despite the fact that we are in the midst of a global pandemic. Howard, welcome.
2: Hello, good afternoon.
1: So, what do you make of the third quarter and some of these incredible sale achievements and the teams that are experiencing all of this around all of our regions?
2: Well, you know, it's been uh, it's been a great couple of months. Uh, we've really recovered uh, from the shutdown in New York City and in other markets throughout the country and uh, have moved forward uh, quite rapidly. Um, I think it's been it's been a combination of uh, volume increases and price increases in you know most of these markets and a big trend uh, to uh, suburban living, uh, but also. Having prices down in the city has brought out a lot of buyers that maybe were waiting or couldn't afford before, but now with lower prices in uh, Manhattan and low interest rates, record low interest rates, uh, it's the time to buy, and that's what we're seeing.
1: Yeah. With with the spike in the COVID cases and the election just a week away, should we expect market volatility over the next weeks and
2: months? Well, uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna have some volatility up and down, uh, you know, amazingly, uh you know, the stock market's down now a couple of days, uh this week so far has been pretty tough. Mostly attributed to the spike in COVID cases and you know, the fear of what uh, that's gonna cause. Um, uh, but, but all in all it's uh, you know, the stock market's, you know, still near highs and uh the res- you know, the residential real estate market uh had gotten hit pretty hard in uh The cities, especially the big cities, and that's come back pretty strong. And uh, I think uh, I don't don't see it going down very far. I mean, they could adjust a little bit, take a breather for a little while, and then start uh, going again. But again, I think the low interest rates is is a big help uh, at this point. Do you think we're nearing the end of the fleeing
1: of New York narrative?
2: You know, there's, there's there's really never been a big you know big fling of New York. I, I think there are people that could be mobile and wanted to go uh, for years, thinking about other places. Have made the move. They pushed a little bit because of uh, of COVID. Um, but on the on the other hand, uh, the, the the numbers are still not fantastic. I, I think they get a lot of publicity because uh, a lot of people. Uh, are moving to low-tax states, and um, I think that, you know, that is not a surprise, and that that really is maybe a drop motivated or sped up by the pandemic, but realistically, since the loss of the local and uh, state and local tax deductions in uh, 17, um, that trend has started with some people trying to get to a low-tax uh, state. I think we learned, like, uh, when you look at Florida, one of our great markets in South Florida, and everyone was going for the weather because, you know, seasonality was great, and there were, you know, four great seasons in Florida. And in thinking about it, on a call uh, yesterday we had, we uh, decided that, you know, really the fifth season is probably one of the main reasons people are leaving. And the fifth season is called no-tax season. And you have it all year round in Florida. So that is definitely a motivating factor.
1: Well, in your crystal ball, what do you think it will take for New York City to recover? Do you have any idea of how long you feel it will be?
2: Well, one thing I would say, it will recover. I mean, it has always recovered. The the, the jobs, the the high-paying jobs are in New York City. Um it could take a little while because a lot of the things that drew people to New York City are still closed. I mean this, you know, uh sporting events, concerts, um theater, um you know, great restaurants, you know, a lot of these things are are going to be slow into in reopening. Um and we'll probably lose some of them for a while. Uh but I don't think that's going to uh be too long lasting it could it could be a year um i, w- I would imagine by uh by the end of 2021 uh, uh we should be in pretty good shape going into 2022 um it looks like again um for at the end by the end of the first quarter as it relates to vaccines um everything that i've seen and heard and believe is that there'll be uh enough vaccines out for the, the whole population pretty much of the country by the end of the first quarter. If it's a little bit late, longer than that, it may be. So I think we just have to maneuver and be careful and uh, stay safe for the next, you know, uh, four, five, six months, and then I think it uh, will be off and running. And New York always comes back. It always has, and it always will.
1: And do you think once the New York region rebounds, our other regions will um – what would you, do you think will happen to the prices in the other regions?
2: I don't think I don't look. I I think that as I've said many times before, the the suburbs around New York City uh, never recovered from the uh, financial crisis of oh uh, eight oh eight oh nine. They were down a lot and they stayed down a lot up until just recently. Now they have recovered and it, it's showing price increases and volume. Uh, probably a lot of volume and some price increases, but what tends to happen once the inventory in those areas, whether it's Fairfield County or Westchester or Nassau County or Suffolk County, um, once, once the, uh, the inventory decreases, then you're going to see, I think continue to see uh price increases because the prices were still way down. As I said, from 08, 09. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And finally, um, we all want to know when are you going to write your
2: book and what will it would be about. Well, I think it would have to be fiction. So, I'm not uh, <laughs> I'm not, plan- not planning not planning on doing it too quickly. Uh I don't think that's something that really has a great interest to in me. Uh I'm not, I'm not I'm not a great writer. I'm uh, I'm a better speaker or talker than writer. So, I think I'll just stick to what I do well and uh let the others uh who have those talents um, tell their story, and I think we're all going to learn from the stories that uh, we hear from them.
1: And that's a great segue, and here we go with Holly Parker and Tracy Tudor. It's My pleasure to welcome them. Holly is a real estate industry powerhouse with well over $8 billion in sales. She's set records for some of Manhattan's most expensive properties and has achieved the highest volume in sales for Douglas Ellum and New Development having worked on some of Manhattan's most prestigious projects, including Jean Nouvel's 111th Avenue, 10 Madison Square West, 150 Charles, and most recently, Madison Square Park Tower, Issei Weinfeld's Yardine in Chelsea, and 111 West 57th Street on Billionaire's Row. And Tracy is the first female star on Bravo's million-dollar listing Los Angeles and the leader of the Tracy Tudor team, a top-producing team at Douglas Elliman in Beverly Hills has represented some of the most noteworthy brands and architects in real estate, as well as one of the most exciting new developments to come to Los Angeles, the West Hollywood Edition Hotel and Residences, designed by British architect John Pawson, and created by visionary hotelier Ian Schrager. Good afternoon, ladies. How are you both today?
3: Doing Good. great. How are
1: you Doing guys? great. <laughs> great. Tracy, you are the author of the. Your recent released book, Fear is Just a Four-Letter Word, a Wall Street Journal bestseller. <laughs> Tell us about it.
0: Uh, I actually realized that I had a platform, obviously, being the only female on a Million Dollar List in Los Angeles, to speak to women being entrepreneurs and being in an industry that technically is dominated by women, However, obviously, uh, in leadership roles and certainly in um, on my on even on television, um, was clearly dominated by men. And I was talking to my agents one day, and I said, "You know, I, I want to use this platform to talk about it." And they were like, "Great! Why don't you put together a book?" And I said, "Like Howard, you know? Oh no, no, no I speak. I don't write." And they were like, "Well, listen, go sit down." And put together just a short outline of what the book would be about. And ultimately, I you know, I sat down, I had a glass of wine and came up with what I felt was just a one sheet of uh, ideas that I had had. And they all seemingly stemmed from um one theme, and that theme was fear. And I sent it back to my agents and said, go with God. Um, I'm probably never going to hear from them again. And, you know, within three or four weeks, we had three offers for me to actually write the book. So that was terrifying. Um, But it's a book about um, my experiences in 20 years in real estate and kind of, you know, kind of coming from the background of of growing up behind someone like my father who um, was a powerhouse in the construction industry. I was married to a residential contractor. My sisters are both interior designers and I was an actress and a failed one at that. So, you know, I fell into real estate, of course, like everybody else does. And, um, I knew that, um, you know, those experiences were all tied in my success to date has all been tied around sort of overcoming different fears. And so I wrote about them. I wrote about a lot of my failures along the way and how I sort of overcame them. And, and really, I more than anything, wanted to write a simple book, um, for, for women mostly, and for men too, um, on on how to own the room when you walk into it, because once you kind of figure that piece out, the rest is really just real estate. It's not that deep.
1: How has fear held you back in the past, in the early years? I mean, you were around successful men in real estate, and you 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 pushed your way through, or you got through, and and you learned the business. Was fear well, I, there? Yeah.
0: Of course, always, and it is every single day. Um, It doesn't go away. These are things that we all have to kind of wake up and face in the morning, whether we're walking into a boardroom or doing a call like this, and and maybe, you know, someone's not as comfortable, um, you know, speaking publicly. But um, certainly in the past, for me, a big challenge was um, feeling like because I was a woman, because I was a mother, um, particularly when my kids were younger, I always felt like I had those cards stacked against me. Um, And so when I walked into a room to interview for a listing, a pitch, um, and I was competing against, you know, my male colleagues, for example, and and, and guys on the show, more often than not, I wasn't landing those listings. And I struggled with that for a long time. I mean, I put in the hours, the time, the effort. And I think that I I let that fear sort of grab me, and and it took over to where I I felt like I had lost before I even – entered the room. And until I finally sort of flipped that switch and it took me, you know, 20 years to get there. Um, I've always had confidence, but, you know, I was a big believer in faking it until you make it. And Mm -hmm. um, until I really got a hold of that and was able to really own, you know, my experience, my 20 years, the struggles, the failures and all of it, then, you know, I, of course, now can... You know, I walk into any room, I don't care who's in it and I know I can win it. Yeah. I've seen you. Yes,
1: absolutely. <laughs> I remember one, one, one particular day where you were in an amazing collection of listings and you had to call out to all of, all of us and all of the people in the industry that you, no one could bring in a pocketbook. Remember that day? And <laughs> it was up in Malibu and you, you just handled it. Like it wasn't, you just cut to the chase and you made it happen. And it's uh anyone has any interest that's in, in, in one of the shows that's coming up in this season, isn't it? I think so. Wait,
0: it's aired. It's aired. They're doing, um, Oh, it aired. I missed now. it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. But you know, I mean, I think to work a room is really important and I've seen you do it. I've seen Holly do it and it's pretty special and that in and of itself is a fear. And, uh, to walk into the room, I mean, you, you have an am- amazing collection of listings and I think that, it's important to know that you you didn't always get those listings, and how did you build that up? Like, what what's important for agents to walk through fears to experience this in life and work? I mean, is it something that you sort of wore, or did did it just happen happen naturally? Or you had so many no. losses that. Yeah I,
0: yeah, I I think for me I, it was more finally listening to my gut. You know, when you're sitting across from someone and you feel. Um, the attack coming your way and I think everybody knows what I mean when I say that, you know, whether you're standing across from a Scott Gillen on the Malibu portfolio and he's sort of, you know, bashing you without, without really verbally doing it, you have to be able to pivot. You have to be able to react and you have to be able to act in the moment. And I think oftentimes women, the thing that we don't use the most that we happen to own over men is our intuition. And How many times have you guys sat across a room from someone and you're like, they're talking down to me. I'm experiencing it. I can hear it. And here's how I really want to respond. But I'm just shaking my head and I'm looking at them and I'm not doing anything about it. And in my opinion, that's not taking your power or owning your power. Um, And that piece of it for me, listening to your gut, listening to your inner voice and being able to vocalize it by staring someone in the eye and speaking to them without any uncertainty is sort of, you know, it's like jumping off the, the, the ledge, not knowing if you're going to land it, but the more often you do it, like any exercise, you become better at it, and then you're able to stand across people like Scott Gillen, and, um, mm-hmm. and no matter what anyone throws at you, you have the ability to respond, because you begin to learn how to <clears throat> take that, that voice and, and actually not let it sit on your shoulder and, and, you know, whisper in your ear, but actually say it out loud. And and nine times out of ten, my gut is always right. I just never vocalized it enough. And then once I started figuring that piece out, that was it.
1: What are your top tips, I And mean, one or two, that getting over this fear and gaining confidence? Is there something you look in the mirror and you say, show time? Or is there a moment before you open the door that you, you get ready internally or, or physically? Yeah, I mean,
0: I think it's a variety of steps. It's, it's one, be prepared. Don't ever go to any meeting not knowing who you're sitting across from. Do your diligence on the people that you're sitting down with. Know where they are in their career. Know who they're married to. Who are they dating? How many kids they have? What charities they're interested in? Because really at the end of the day with what we do, it's about human connection. These people have to feel like you're sitting across from them. You're interested in them. Because at the end of the day, what everybody really wants is to be friends with or like someone that is like them. Um, or mm-hmm. wants to be like them. They want to connect with someone that gets it and that, that that it feels natural. Now, it might not be natural, but that's when you have to be a bit of a chameleon. Once you sort of know, once you do, I just call it your due diligence on a person, And once you're in the room with them, then you have to look at the mood that they're in. Are they agitated? Are they, are they calm? Are they disinterested? And you have to be able to, or are they excited? Then you have to match it. But once you figure out what their mood is, then you can go in for the kill because that's how you're going to connect.
1: Lots of listening and lots of observing. Yep. Yeah. All right, we'll be back to you shortly. Holly, your first book back on the market, A Realtor's Guide to Love and Life. It's now available available for pre order and it's out on
3: December 29th. Why did you write the book? Um, first of all, Tracy, the book sounds amazing. I cannot wait to read it. And no, thank you. Send me a copy Here.
0: of yours. I will, we have
3: to exchange. So I wrote this book because like like Tracy, I've been in the industry for twenty five years now. And in relating to certain situations, I often use dating as a reference of saying Why we can't call this buyer one more time when they've only come to see the property once and they didn't really connect to it. Why are we chasing them? And when I relate it to dating and say, when you go on a date there wasn't a whole lot of show of interest, you don't, we all saw that in swingers and it didn't have a good ending. So I wanted to basically write a how to of the attraction process, how, you know, you, how, what are the things that you use in real estate to help stay you know, you work on your foundation, you work on your staging, um, and then it just kind of snowballed. So things like th- this, the battle cry of the lonely, right? It only takes mm-hmm. one. We've heard that from so many sellers, and we've heard that from so many friends of ours, right, that really don't want to do any work. And at the end of the day, you got to get under the hood and you got to do the work. And then the other one where people say that they don't want to, to my sellers who don't want to do anything to address their hoarding problems or, you know, the, the woman who will not get out of her sweats and will not get a haircut from that she's had since the 70s, I say to them, there's a thin line between hope and delusion. You can sell this luxury property, but there are steps that you need to take to do it. Wow.
1: So you you, you work twenty four hours a day like every agent. So you were you were sort of weaving in what your what you were experiencing there in your own personal life. Because you write that you were in an unhappy marriage for seven years. How did your work help you transform your life into the picture of happiness we see today?
3: Well, a lot of it was, you know, having the job was amazing because I could throw myself into the job and I could what, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of joy in my life, but I could find joy in helping other people find their home, right, and find their happy ending. So that was, my job was really a place that I Really went to, I really learned to depend on, and, and I did work 24 7 on it. But, but what did I learn from it? I learned um, courage, and I learned that I did want this big, big life with lots of people and lots of love. So, like, like real estate, I learned how to go out and get it. What I wanted to do originally and what the book ended up being are two different things. And when I started writing the book, I just wanted to tell everyone what to do. Here's how you do it, this is how you get luxury, hard luxury listings sold, and this is how you get yourself sold and la da la. And my co-writer, Laura Morton, pushed me to say, Nobody wants a how to. You need to mm-hmm. tell these stories through your own story. And that startled me because I'm private. <laughs> like, wait a minute, my story. Nobody wants to hear my story. I don't. What, what you, you want to hear about me? Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> I just want to boss everybody around. I'm just going to boss everybody around. That's what I do. And um, so she started coaching me and saying, "Okay." And I did. I wrote a couple of chapters, and I told I, I told how. I wanted to originally wrote the book. So when I met her, I handed her two chapters that were personal, but then I was going to launch into the how to. And Mm. she slowly started saying, just send me some chapters, you know, pretend you're writing your, your girlfriend and let's just see where they're at. And the end of the book, like Tracy is a very, very personal story that I really had not intended on sharing. And then um, you know, COVID came and she ripped the manuscript away from me and she sent it to the printer. So I did share a lot. I shared a lot about my failures and the process that I went through to get that life, as you say, to the point that I had dreamed of.
1: Well, Holly, do you think that you were, you were making everyone else's lives so wonderful and perfect? But in the, in, the, in the same breath, you weren't making your, yourself that way. Did all of all of that experience and that success help you turn around and say, wait, uh, what about me? It's my moment.
3: It finally did. Because, listen, when, when your life is a disaster, it is amazing to go hide in other people's. And for a long time, that worked. But I was so lonely and I was so sad. And so I kind of just looked at myself and said, listen, if I can sell other people's properties, I need to take my own advice. I need to connect to my property. I need to come up with a plan because every luxury property that we sell, we've had a strategic plan. So what's the plan? Well, first I had to work on my foundation. When you separate from someone that you've once loved, your foundation is cracked. Cracked, cracked, cracked. And mine certainly was. I look like a china plate. And, um, you know, so I went to a therapist. I went to a therapist a lot. I went to a therapist at the beginning three times a week. I did yoga. I went on quests. I went to, I went to spas. I, I really dove deep to figure out who I was and what I wanted. I did the decluttering. I looked at my life and said, who do I need to keep in my life? Who is pulling me up, the balcony people, and who is pulling me down, your basement people. And like Mm. a move, you look around and you sort and you say, Salvation Army, this goes to that. I looked around and said, you know what, to pay a mover to come and take all this stuff to my new house, if I'm going to pay to do that, I better make sure this reflects who I am now. So I really did a sorting process of that. And, you know, at the end of the day, you got to then, after you do the mind and the soul, you got to do the body. So there was a staging process, right? Bringing in Mm -hmm. fresh, fresh plants and flowers and getting your new haircut and who is the new you. And that does help to look in the mirror and see something a little bit different, a new haircut, whatever it is. And when you, you know, get that fresh paint on there, and you get some new lighting, um, that can drastically change how you feel. I talk about turn, right. lights. lighting is one of the most important things when showing a property. Please come at 10 past two because that is the only time that the sun will actually come through that window. <laughs> and so I need your appointment to be exactly at that time. And it makes a difference, right? We all do it. We all know when that absolute moment is. But what is it? When we connect to our own property, we turn on our own lights. We are connected to us, what, what we're passionate about. Um, and when we do that, people, people take notice, right? And all of a sudden, people want to be around you. And you can yeah. feel it. That is your it moment. And so it happens in a property that has sat around for three years, five years, and had no bids, and then we do it, we work on the property, we stage the property, we clean the property, we get new lights for the property, and all of a sudden, when everything, when the juju's set, we have five people bidding on it, and it's so strange. You You can't understand it. There's really no logical thing. These people don't know each other. Yet there's five people bidding at the same moment after years and years. So that's what we want. That's what I want for all of my readers. And they don't have to be single. They could be pivoting in their career. It's about connecting to yourself, connecting to your passion, having, you know, like like Tracy's book, having courage, right? Mm-hmm. Having courage and putting one step in front of the other to start going in the direction that you have dreamed to go. And, you know, COVID is, is a, a curse with launching a book, but also in a way I think a, a wonderful time for Tracy's book and a wonderful time for my book because it's about harnessing your pain, what I call Turn Your Pain into Petrol. Some Mm. of the most talented people out there, J.K. Rawlings is the only, was the first writer to make a billion dollars on a book. And she was turned down by seven different publishers and had a really, really, really hard, hard beginning. And I I, I write that.
1: I think... um... We'd love to know the, the process of getting a book deal. Tracy, is it as easy as getting a house into contract? I mean, you're selling yourself more than you're selling a property. How was the process?
0: I think an escrow is more challenging. <laughs> 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 um, uh, you know, to be honest, I had uh, it wasn't like I was coming out of nowhere. I, had a, I was on a TV show on Bravo, so it came to me much easier than it might come to um, – you know, other other um, people that are interested in writing, um, but I have a lot of people ask me that question that that want to write books, and it and it really just boils down to having an agent that can help you um, help you get your idea to the right people and the right publishing houses. Um, it, it was you know really simple. I I wrote that one page sort of treatment breaking down different concepts and ideas that I had, um, under this theme of fear and, uh, and it really did sort of spell out, you know, what I thought this book would be. And then once they became interested, they asked for, um, what, what, what what a treatment essentially is, is about 60 pages of the book. And so I worked with a ghostwriter because yeah, yeah. More than that. Um, 60 plus pages um so it was really you know um a third of my book and um we ended up obviously having more than um that in addition so i worked with a ghostwriter um i was in no no way going to have time to obviously uh, run my normal business um we had we had wrapped uh i was writing the book during shooting so it was it felt like a third job to me Um, but you know, once I, once that process started, um, and I knew that I had deadlines to meet, I worked backwards from that, but, um, you know, it was simple. It was a simple treatment that I pitched and they bid on it. And then once, um, we were able to put the deal together, then it was about delivering. And then I said, Oh shit, (laughs) I actually have to, I have to do this now. So, um, that took about eight months and wow. um, to write the book, and then we went through the editing process, um, which was another two months after that uh, of hardcore edits. And then that was it. Then it, then it was, you know, let's shoot the cover and let's, let's go, let's go get this book made. So that was, that was it. It was really exciting. And, you know, we started pre pre pre-orders just like Holly's doing now. And anyone who's on the call, you guys need to support her with your pre-orders because that's a big piece of, of how you get to um, the top of the bestseller list. Um, And those, those um, those orders are going to be really important, and that's what we had to do. And then, of course, the you know once the book launches, it's essentially one week, um, sometimes less than a week, sometimes five days of of sales. So it's your pre-orders in that first week, and then um, and then it's out, and you just you know keep um, keep pushing it.
1: Keep pushing it.
0: How and then figure out how out? you're going to write okay. the next
1: one. <laughs> right. And you're already on to that, I'm sure. You have an idea yeah. for it, I'm sure. Yep. Yeah. Holly, did you go through the same thing? I mean, is it as hard? Was it as hard as pitching a potential seller, or was it all? Was it you just know, talking about yourself that was hard.
3: I I I was put in touch with this person, Jonathan Merck, um, from Simon and Schuster, and we met at the Ritz on Central Park South. And we went to breakfast, and it was about a three-hour breakfast. Uh, he had been divorced, and he just he just understood my sense of humor. And he was kind of doubled over laughing. The two of us were laughing almost the whole time. And at the end, he's like, well, I love it. He's got this Southern guy. He's like, well, I love it, and I, I'm, I'm ready to do it. So for me, it wasn't. It was, you know, you had to have your your stories and your pitch. You had to be tight, um, but I did. I rehearsed it. I had, you know, been like Tracy and did my work and uh, knew exactly what I wanted to share with him. And it was a good selection, apparently, because he gave me the green light after after our breakfast. So I was delighted.
1: Now the excitement wears off, and you're in bed, and you're about to try to fall asleep. Do you did you scream like, "Oh my god, I have to write a book"? Or, or <laughs> were you just, I mean, I, I've known you almost twenty five years. I, I just can't imagine it was a it was exciting, but worrisome. I would think.
3: Oh God! Or, I mean, up until about forty eight hours ago, there was always some, and there still is, but there was always something looming. I always had homework because they just. You know, I I had deadlines that I had to make on these chapters, um, and they knew I was very busy, and they needed things when they needed them, and they always lied about the deadline because they knew I'd always call and say, I need more time. <laughs> and then they, they were like, we need that you do that, so we built that in. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I needed that. You know, I, I know myself and know that things come up and work comes up. Uh, so, that's what they did, and and we got there. For for me, the process was a year and uh, ten months. Wow. The whole process, start to finish.
1: Well, Holly, would you take a moment to read us your favorite paragraph?
3: Oh, sure, sure. So this is right out of uh, the introduction, and right now, if you if you pre-order this, we will email you the entire chapter. Uh, right away. Great. So when I, was, when I was a little girl, my father, Artie, sat me down one day and said, it was time to have a talk. No, not that talk. Artie wanted to share his feelings about men. Holly, men basically are basically shit. Women need to stand on their own two feet. If you want something in life, you have to build it. That way, a man can't take it all away. Men, hi- men hide, cheat and steal. While not all men are bad, it sure is a lot harder to find a good man than it is to find a good woman. So never think a man is going to give you a life. You need to create your own life. And if by chance a man has given you a life, don't rely on it. He can destroy it in a blink of an eye. Men are dogs. I'm ashamed to be one. I was five years old when my father shared this advice, insight, scary thought, but I've never forgotten it. It's as if he said it to me yesterday, and he would remind me of this viewpoint several times a year, so I wouldn't forget to always stand my ground emotionally and financially. I'll stop there. There you go. (laughs) Oh wow, my men my men friends are gonna kill me. <laughs> oh
1: no, we just lost one hundred listeners. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know, right? uh, <laughs>
3: Tracy,
1: no, it's not a men bashing, it's us. not a men
3: bashing book, so don't worry.
1: I'm I'm sure it isn't. No, it can't be. It's not from you. I was like, No, that's fine.
3: Uh, Tra- I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Tracy, let's hear yours.
0: Uh, I actually, this is tough, but I actually am just going to read you the last paragraph because it's it's really the end of the book, and I feel like it closes it out the best. Um, Onward. As you're learning to trust your gut more and more and tune into what pulls you away from those instincts, you're going to find so much freedom in your choices. It doesn't mean that fear will go away, but you'll have a better relationship to yourself and life. You'll know better how to pull which parts of you into any situation based on the fight you're taking on or the personality in front of you or whatever the hell it is that you're trying to accomplish. You'll start feeling like there's absolutely no one to blame but yourself, and even that will include compassion because you know you're at least trying. It's the most empowering feeling in the world to know that fear finally isn't running your life, but rather you are. It's what gives you the backbones that only true, self-sourced confidence can. Owning your truth, your confidence, and your life will draw people to you. It's such a rare quality, not to blame, not to make excuses, and not to play small, that you'll find people enchanted by your power. Life is full of unknowns. There will be plenty of days that you wake up feeling like shit from having made a bad decision or said the wrong thing. You'll never get it 100% right. But instead of going into some shame spiral and staying there, you'll be able to leave the past in the past so that you can be accountable to each new day. It'll be the best part of taking on the day and leaving all of the fear of what people think, of not being enough, of where this is all going, of fighting for what you know is right, of failure behind. Instead, keep moving, keep staying true to yourself while you do, and you'll own every room that you're in. Hello. I love
3: it. So good. (laughs) Yes.
1: Well, you know, thank you both. You know, we're so happy that you're with us at Douglas Elliman and we're so enormously proud of you and these tremendous accomplishments. Um, Tracy, where can listeners order is just a four-letter word?
0: Everywhere. Um, Everywhere? Yes, you can get Barnes it on and Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iBooks. Um, it's in stores and online. So you can find it pretty much anywhere at this moment. Okay. And
1: Holly, back on the market, A Realtor's Guide to Love and Life? Same place? You
3: can go to, to hollyparker.com, and you can go to my Instagram, which is NYC. And the first 20 people that follow me and comment will get their very own signed copy.
1: Wow. Thank you, Holly. Okay. Thank you both. Howard, would you please close today's town hall?
2: Sure. It was very inspiring listening to both Tracy and Holly, both of which uh, I've had relationships with Holly longer than Tracy, obviously, um, But uh, they are both fantastic, fantastic brokers and, more important, fantastic human beings. I started, I think, when we had our first uh, town hall meeting, um, I started, you know, reading quotes at the end. And I want to read one that I read, I think it was at our first town hall meeting. And I think it's apropos for the times we're in right now. And that was from uh, Franklin Roosevelt's uh, inaugural speech in 1933. He said, so first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. In every dark hour of our national life, a leadership of frankness and of vigor has met with that understanding and support of the people themselves, which is essential to victory. And I am convinced that you will, again, give that support to leadership in these critical days. I think during, especially during the pandemic and during election time, you know, we have a lot of, lot to think about. We should always remember the uh, more than 200,000 uh, people, uh, citizens of the United States that we have lost, and uh, many more throughout the whole world, uh, truly a terrible, terrible event And I think we all have to be helpful with the election coming up. And I don't, you know, think it matters who wins or who loses, because all we want is to have someone that is going to help us go forward. Um, And we should all give support to whoever that person is. And I hope there is, uh, we know, pretty quickly, as opposed to having it, you know, drawn out. I think that'll be best uh, to heal everyone in this country. So um, I would say all of us have faults. There's only one person we know above that doesn't have faults. So I think during this time we should think about that, and we should all be prepared to support and follow uh, whoever our leader may be. And uh, I'm sure the man above will be watching over all of us. Thank you. Thank you, Howard.
3: Thank you, Howard. Love you,
0: Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect.